It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports editor and columnist with Rick Roaring. As always, we look at the local sports topics, some national sports topics, and we got some gambling picks along the way, and maybe even a Christmas story that Rick would like to share at some point. I doubt that. Okay, I thought I'd get us in the Christmas spirit, Rick. Christmas. Take us away, buddy. There was a trio of college basketball games around the Tri-State Wednesday night to talk about. Let's start with the most interesting one. Cincinnati bounced back from Saturday's loss to Colgate by beating Tennessee 78-66. The Bearcats placed six scores in double figures, and big man Jay Sorolla added nine. Jaron Cumberland finished with 10 points on four of nine shooting to go with four assists and six turnovers. Skinny, did that win change your opinion of this UC team? I think it did because... um... You know, this game and the Iowa game were the kind of the two, they they couldn't lose them both, in my opinion, and, and have really a great chance to probably even make the tournament. I but mean, let's it, face it, after the Colgate loss, no all, one thought they were going to win. Right, and it games. also looked like the whole season was imploding on top of everything. Right. And they won on a night when Jaron Cumberland didn't score a bunch, which I, I've always thought that he needs to probably get 20 for them to have a chance to beat a good team. Now, they can beat rum dums and maybe some teams in their conference that aren't very good without that. But I thought against a, a quality opponent, and I don't know how quality Tennessee is, uh, but they're quality enough, and it's, it's still they were only a one-and-a-half-point favorite, so obviously that was kind of a pick game. You know, they put uh, six in double figures, seven guys scored nine or more points. It was a night where Cumberland didn't have a great offensive game. Uh, they kind of shared the ball. I thought defensively they were really good. This is a kind of an offensive challenge Tennessee team. I mean, they only scored 47 against Memphis, and they struggled to run their offense and get some looks in, in this game. But it did just because the Colgate game, the way it ended, what John Brandon said after the game, which it sounded like he was completely done with Jaron Cumberland at that point. And let's face it, for both of them to get through this year, there has to be a level of, of, of marriage that, that at least is, is workable. And maybe they came to that. Maybe this came to that head after that. And it, and Jaron was so humbled by it that maybe he did wind up buying it. I know you probably saw John's comments after the game that Jaron had a couple of great days yeah, of practice. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, talked about his effort and, and all of those things and said, Hey, you still have not seen the player. Then we have not seen the player that he's still going to become when he gets himself in some shape and, and gets things rolling. And, and I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, I, I think it did because a loss to Tennessee would have, I just think that the train would have just kept rolling off the track and it probably would have lost to Iowa. And then you go into conference play sitting at six and six with, with really a lot of work. I mean, you'd have probably had to go, you'd probably had to go 15 and three in the league, maybe 14 and four at, at best to put yourself in the mix. Oh, yeah. Now, if you, if you go beat Iowa, well, now you got two little scalps on a resume all of a sudden and, and you go in on a roll and you go in feeling good and you're in a league where you could go 14 and four and 14 and four on top of what you did non league puts you in a, in a nice spot, I think, in the tournament. So it, it did change my opinion. I think it had to change anybody's opinion because everybody's opinion, I think, was this team's done. Yeah, they looked like they were in a lot of trouble. I think this shows you how fragile winning is yes. for everyone, but especially, especially a, this year. Yeah, well, especially a team like Cincinnati too, where you have these new pieces trying to fit together. You have a new coaching staff trying to implement uh, a new way of playing on both ends of the court, and even it's never as bad as it looks, right? I mean, fans. And I want people to understand this: Colgate's good. I know that's going to sound Colgate. They got. I think all their guys were back from last year's team. It was an NCAA tournament team. They're legit good. They're a team that wouldn't shock me if they win a first round NCAA tournament game. To be honest with you, no, no. I mean, both of the teams that UC has lost to, while not impressive in name, um, well, Ohio State was, but the but the other two games, Colgate and Bowling Green, not impressive in name, but both two solid teams. In yes. all honesty, I mean, yes. not not totally embarrassing losses. Bowling Green will very much, I think, in my opinion, be in the mix to win the MAC. Yeah, I think so too. Um, 
but I think this just goes to show you that fans get so worked up when teams lose games and when they struggle. And this, but that was an ugly way to lose on Saturday night too. And things looked really bad after the Colgate loss, and understandably so. Um, But it it also goes to show you that it's never as bad as it looks. You know, you're never that far away from getting things right. You make a few shots, guys play to their potential, or you just play with better effort, which I thought that was a lot of what this game was. Right. Um, Jaron still wasn't very good. No, if you just take, if you just pull him out and put his lineup on the wall and go 10 points, four assists, six turnovers. It's not a lot for an All-American candidate, yeah, is it? Yeah, you could have been like, that was Jeremiah Davenport having his yes. best game off the bench this <laughs> yes. year. Yes, but I think the fact that, that it was seven different guys scoring nine or more points, that tells me the ball was moving, the ball was shared, guys were finishing that needed to finish, and you didn't have to rely completely on Jaron Cumberland against a quality opponent. And maybe that's the, the thing moving forward. And then when Jaron gets rolling, if he does get himself back into shape, does get some more buy-in. We've seen the potential. That, that, that part's not the issue. I mean, the guy can get buckets in, in, in droves. Um, I think this still has a chance to be a good team. I Yeah, I still think they're going to struggle. I don't think this was like some turnaround. Now, it has the chance to be a bit of a turning point I think it for does. them, I think. But I don't think it necessarily automatically becomes that because they're still going to struggle to win games on the road. They're still trying to figure things out. And again, I still think most of the expectations for this team rely on Jaron Cumberland being a preseason All-American type player, and he's nowhere close to that. Not even close, you're right. So they are going to continue to struggle, especially away from home. But I think what you saw was a team that got desperate and and had their backs against the wall, and basically it was either you fold and embarrass yourself for the next few weeks, or... You fight and claw and say, F it. It's us against the world. Let's go out and fight as hard as we can fight. And that's what they did. And that's exactly what you want to see if you're a fan of that. Yeah, and you can argue it's it's never too late until you're probably out of conference tournament time to get things rolling. We talked about that Xavier team. We talked about the shootout, that Xavier team in 2004, sitting at 10-9, and playing the number 10 team in the country you see. A loss gets them to 500 deep in the season, 20 games in, man. You pretty much are what you are, right? Well, they win the game and look up. They get to they get to the final eight, the elite eight, and with a, almost a chance, a legit chance to get to the final four that day. I mean, that, that's how seasons can go sometimes. We've compared th- this UC team and last year's Xavier team, and for good reason. I think they're in very similar spots, and I think they're having a lot of the similar issues. The one thing about this UC team, though, that Xavier didn't have was there is the upside of. Jaron becoming Jaron right. again at some point. And if that happens, then you do become more like a potential Xavier 2004 type team where maybe you could be a team that makes a run. Now, I don't think this team is probably a second weekend type team. I don't, I don't either. I, but, I, I, but you never know with a guy yeah. like Jaron if he gets hot And in especially the in this year where we never know about any freaking team in the country. True. Good point. Um, the one thing I will say is I think this also shows you a little bit about some of the upside John Brandon system gives you as opposed to mix. I think this is a game they struggle to win under mix system. You, you saw year. seven, again, seven guys get nine points or more. That tells me, without even having to look at a box score, without even having to look at what the assist total was, the ball was moving. And maybe some hockey assists in there, but the ball was moving. Well, and also the way they attacked at the end. They're not trying to take the air out yeah. of the ball and survive on their defense. They're still attacking and increasing that lead at the end of the game. Um, and I think, you know, he's he was always kind of a big game coach for NKU. When they had those big conference-type games that they needed to win, they usually showed up and were ready to play. I think he's continuing that at UC now, at least it looked like it in this one. The other takeaway I just had was Mike Adams-Woods is going to be a really mm-hmm. good yeah. player for this yeah. UC team. He's looking like their most poised and mature player down the stretch of these games as a freshman. I can't imagine what he's going to look like in a year, another year yeah, or two. Yeah, it's a great building block for sure. 
All right, Skinny, Kentucky fell 69-66 to Utah and Las Vegas as the Wildcats went 2-for-17 from three-point range. Tyrese Maxey led the Cats with 18 points. The Utes are ranked 100th in Ken Palm. How important are Kentucky's next two games against Ohio State and Vegas and at home against Louisville following this loss? I think they're huge because I, 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 I know everybody can point back to the Michigan State win, right? And, and that's fair, but... I, it, that win still doesn't it didn't move the needle a ton for me. It really didn't. And then the rest of their schedule up until this has been complete slop. Um, it, it just it hasn't been anything for a test, anything to put on your resume, anything to crow about. And this was kind of a game. This wasn't even a game to crow about. This is a game that you need to win because then the next two. And yeah, if you win them, then you've got two big scalps. If not, I don't think they're awful losses. But then it's going to tell me that what this team is. It's just I've said it all. I just don't think it's very good. It's NCAA tournament good. I just don't think it's deep run good. It's just not. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think what we're seeing is it's really going to take a complete evolution by a guy like Tyrese Maxey probably, or maybe if they find a way to get like Khalil Whitney going get later on going. in the season. But it's going to have to be one of those freshmen becoming special and the and game I just kind of slowing it. it. I just don't see it. I mean, Tyrese Maxey has shown some glimpses, but he's just Tyrese not there Maxey yet. Tyrese Maxey, to me, is the second or third option on a really good team. On a team like this, he's the first option, and that's just not enough because there's not enough other options around him. I think he's an alpha-type player. He's always been that type of guy. The problem is he's a freshman right now. He's at times playing like a freshman, and he's not hitting shots at near a, a high enough rate. They're I'm, shooting 29% on the season from three-point range. Yeah, it's awful. Ooh. I mean, they're really struggling. It's, and that was supposed to be what this team could do, is this is one of those teams that could shoot, shoot a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Offensively, they just they go through some really bad stretches. Now, defensively, at times they're pretty good, and yes. we we know about Coach Cal's teams. They always get better defensively, so there is still upside here. And the the thing about the SEC is it's a really nice conference for Kentucky to play in because you can rack up a lot of wins. It's not like you don't have dominant teams at the top that are going to necessarily knock you off. You can still be the the champ or at least top three type team in that conference almost every year no matter what at the same time it's not like there's a bunch of landmines on your schedule where you're going to lose some bad games no, against but, SEC competition but for a team that doesn't shoot the ball going on the road for any team in that league to play anywhere in that league is going to be hard they could lose them. anywhere absolutely and, and I mean they open up their the conference at home with Missouri but then then they go to Georgia uh have Alabama at home then at South Carolina which is not very good but it's on the road and at Arkansas which is starting to impress me the more I watch them play the more I like Arkansas yeah but the, the thing about that is you all those other all those teams you're talking about I mean Arkansas is playing pretty well right now but with the exception of them and and still them too could be included in this all of those teams could lose to anyone well, I, I at home or on the road. That. And certainly a Kentucky, a, a team that's got been you know the class of your conference for so long and kind of has a little bit of that intimidation factor when they come into your building. I, I Kentucky can still go on a run in the SEC without a problem, even if they don't, I don't know. really reach their full potential. This yeah, year. I don't know. And they still have non-league. They still got Texas Tech, too, um, in, in January. So they got a chance to get a couple of three you know fairly significant non-league wins. But you lose all – let's just say, for example, let's just say you lose all three and you still do some good things. Let's say they go – 13 and 5, 14 and 4 in the SEC, but you lose to Ohio State, to Louisville, to Texas Tech, and you will have lost um, a bad loss to Evansville and then this loss to Utah, which they probably will be, be close to the Yeah, right. It's neutral right, top 100. Right. Um, 
I just don't know what you would have on your resume at that point that, that's going to get you into a decent seed line. Yeah, well, I mean, the Michigan State loss, I, I get that Michigan, or Michigan State win, win rather. Yeah. I get they're not what people expected them to be. It'll, it'll wind up being a good win. And it'll, I know yeah. it was the first game of the year, but that's still going to look like a really good win at the no, end. No, and, and it is your full body of work. Yeah, um, so I'll, that I'll will count. That. That, that'll help them. And then there are opportunities within SEC play to rack up. Wins that look good at win. your numbers. You know, I mean, when you're yeah. looking at the net at the end of the year and those versus top versus tier one versus tier two games, there's a lot of those in the SEC, regardless of how good it is at the top. I, I still, I mean, I think you've got to get at least one of the three I just mentioned: Ohio State, Louisville, Texas Tech, to put yourself into a quality seed line. Yeah, but the other thing about if I'm a Kentucky fan, I also look at it from the perspective of you know how this thing goes for Kentucky. They always get better as the season goes, and they made a run to a national title game as an eight seed. That's one true. Year. That's so a fact. you don't have to with free- double digit losses, right, or nine or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, it had to be to get yeah, an eight seed yeah. as Kentucky. So. Um, it's not a requirement that they win these games, but you definitely want to see them start moving in the right direction. And they just haven't. And and I don't know, maybe maybe it has been. Maybe the schedule has given them a false sense of confidence. It really shouldn't have because they haven't played very well even against the slot portion of the schedule. No. For the most part. I just... I've said it all along. I just don't think it's a very good team. I I, Look, there's all qualifiers to that. Very good team doesn't tell me... It's an NCAA tournament team. I just don't know to what depth they go. I just don't feel that this team makes any kind of a run. It doesn't feel like the pieces are fitting together on the offensive end right. very well at all. The guys that needed to step up aren't stepping up and taking that next step. The The freshmen that have come in haven't been enough. Um, defensively, I still think they can be really good. Well, I mean, the defense got them back in last night. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's already good. Yeah. I think it can be elite or very close to it by the end of the year, uh, but the offense will have to get better if they're going to be a second weekend type team. Xavier outscored Western Carolina 25-6 over the final 13 minutes of action to rally from a seven-point deficit in the second half Wednesday night. The Musketeers got a career-high 25 points from Quentin Gooden on a night that Najee Marshall didn't play due to a stomach virus. Skinny, should Xavier fans have serious concerns about this team following Saturday's loss at Wake Forest and Wednesday's uninspiring showing against Western Carolina? I don't know. I mean, Wednesday, I think you can chalk up to not having Najee a little bit. Um, I don't know. Is this exam week for them? I'm assuming yeah. it is. I mean, that, that La- factors, last week was. Yeah. So uh, students are off campus. Yeah, I think that factors in a little bit. Um, the loss to Wake is a little concerning because Wake's just not very good, but it is on the road, and sometimes you just stumble on the road. They got off to a crack. You know, they, they, they got dug themselves a hole, almost dug all the way back out and couldn't quite do it. Um, yeah, if you'd asked me this question at halftime last night, I might have had a different response, but I thought they should respond the way you're supposed to. You're a good team. You're a far better team than Western Carolina, and you took care of business in the second half without your best player. Um, that tells me that that, that that showed me a little bit of something. Um, if I'm a Xavier fan, I'd like to see them wind up this non, non-conference portion with a win at TCU and feel good at 11-2 and two going into the league, knowing that Hell, twelve and six in that league would be pretty damn good. I mean, and and that gets you what twenty four and eight. I'm doing that off the top of my head, something along those lines. I think that gets you a decent spot when come tournament time, and and it could be better than that come, come the league. But I, I don't know. You're you're around it closer than I am. I follow it from from afar, from from just a television watching standpoint. I, I'm chalking last night up to no Naji. I heard you yesterday with Mo Mo Egger on 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 Wednesday. So I'm just a yep. date when we're doing this. I heard you on with, with your regular spot. And you brought up the point of, of Jason Carter. If he can just start to pick some things up, how much better this team can be because he can create some stuff. Well, yeah, I thought he had a really nice night last night and, 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 and played maybe like the guy that you're hoping he will evolve into. And if he does, 
okay, now you got your extra part. Yeah, I think fans are starting to see that a little bit too. Everyone had pinned their hopes of this team's offensive upside being Kiki Tandy getting into the mix. Yeah. And he's a freshman. Yeah. I mean, and that's the issue. He looks like a freshman. His decision-making isn't there. And you have to expect the fact that freshmen aren't going to shoot as well as they're their percentages would suggest, you know, coming out of high school or later on in their career, a lot of times guys struggle that and first year. And he's not a one-and-done talent freshman. I mean, I, I, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, so. he's a guy who can give you a spark, and maybe yes. you'll have a game or two where he, he does, you know, score double digits. But it's not going to be a consistent thing. This team best chance for upside on the offensive end consistently is going to be Jason Carter yep. figuring out. I think that's still very much a real possibility. We've seen guys come in and take a, an entire year to figure it out and get used to that jump from low or mid-major basketball to high-major basketball. I mean, Travis Taylor, to me, is the best example of that when he transferred from Monmouth to Xavier. And he was really, really struggled his junior year, traveled a lot before he went up and missed a lot of shots around the rim. And then senior year, he was great for Xavier. I think Jason Carter will figure things out. And when he does, what he gives them that they don't otherwise have is high IQ on the offensive end. A guy you can play through a little bit on the wing who knows how to pass, who can shoot from the outside a little bit, but can make plays off the dribble. He can score in the post. He can bang. He can rebound. He's just so versatile, and he understands how to play that once he starts playing with more confidence, it could make some of these other guys better because he complements their game a little bit better. Um, And so I do think that was the big bright spot. In terms of should fans be concerned, I would say no more concerned than you were before the Wake Forest Yeah, because the same, the same weaknesses of it, not being able to shoot the ball consistently well are still there. Right. It's the, the, that, mean, this team can great. lose to anyone, particularly on the road, because of their deficiencies on the offensive end and the fact that the pieces don't fit all that well together. I mean, it's the same stuff we talked about since last year. But they are better than last year. We've seen that. They now have guys who are willing to step up and close the game. Last night, it was Quentin Gooding coming from out of nowhere and scoring 25, 25 points, points. Wow. without yeah. Najee Marshall and knocking down four or four from deep. I mean, all of those shots were great shots. I know fans don't want to see Quentin shooting a lot of threes. That's understandable considering what his percentage has been to this point in his career. But when he takes all great looks right, like he did in this game. rhythm good threes are great. You can live with it, especially yes. because this team doesn't have shooters. So the guy who gets the best look is probably the, the best option to take the shot. I, I I don't think there's a ton of upside for the Xavier team from what they are right now. Jason Carter gives them a little bit, but they kind of are what they are. And it's a similar team to last year with the same flaws, but they're, they're a more mature team. They seem to play more focused for longer stretches. They seem to understand how to turn things around and, and get themselves out of a funk instead of folding like we saw them do in games against like Missouri and Cincinnati last year. They're much better when they face adversity and they have guys who can close out games now and Najee Marshall, sometimes Paul Scruggs, now Quentin Gooden for a game. It, I, I think they, they have a chance to be a team that makes a run, but you should still have serious concerns about their offense because it's not very good. Yeah, but I would tell you that if you look at the macro before the year started, if I told you they're going to go 10-3 and three or 11-2 and two in the non-con, would you have said, take it, I'll take it? Yeah, it's, about, it's exactly what we expected. Right. I think most people right. had them penciled in. If you were optimistic, you said two losses. Right. And they and still have that they chance can do to that. do that. Yeah. They, they got to win at TCU, which is going to be a, a tough game. Obviously, we'll pick that in our betting portion. But I do think that game is kind of going to be the biggest measuring yes. stick game for them on this schedule because that will, even though you had the slip up at Wake Forest, which can happen to anyone. Yeah, that's, that's my point. Um, that, you just saw Kentucky do it in a neutral to Utah, which is 100. The same, same type of game as Wake. But the, the big question is, can you go win a, in a tough environment, a place that's tough to win, against a top 50-ish right. type team? Right. You go do that, now you've proven to me, okay, you are a different team than you were last yeah, year. Yeah, no, that's, and, that's, and that's, that's well said, and, and that kind of takes the sting of Wake Forest away if you can pull that off. Yeah, I would agree. 
All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here. A.J. Green said he won't try and return for the Bengals' final two games of the season. Green has been out since injuring his ankle during training camp. It's a big offseason for the Bengals' wide receiver and the team. He says he's not sure whether he'll stay in Cincinnati after nine years, and he won't participate in offseason workouts if the Bengals elect to use their franchise tag on him. What are your thoughts on A.J. Green's comments, and should the Bengals franchise tag him this offseason? Um, I can't blame him if, if he doesn't want to take part in offseason workouts if they franchise tag him. It, those those workouts are optional. He probably um, he would be fine for missing the June mandatory mini camp. I don't think he would care about that. He initially said he wasn't sure about training camp either. Then he kind of backtracked when he I think he realized, I, yeah, I do. And he said, hey, look, I do have to get in some football shape. So, yeah, training camp. He also was like, wait, Joe Burrow's going to be throwing me passes? Maybe I'll come back. But no, we asked him about that. I mean, you know, We didn't say Joe specifically, but hey, you're going to be working with a young quarterback? He said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's business. This is a business. This is a business. He kept using the business portion of it. That's what this decision about his this whole season's been about. Of course. For him. This is a business. And that's why you don't franchise tag him. And that's why you don't re-sign him. And it's not nothing that, that he's done this year that pisses me off. I, I, I don't like what he's done. I understand what he's done. But if you franchise tag him, you're in the same boat as this year. Contract expires at the end of the year. He gets another owie in, let's just say, late August. Does he let that linger? He's getting paid. You know, is he going to just let that thing go? And I'm not paying a 32-year-old wide receiver who has a history of injuries recently, big money and long-term in three years or four years, which he, he thinks he deserves and probably does or did, and some team will probably give it to him. It just can't and shouldn't be the Bengals. I think it's time to just part ways with A.J. Green, and I... It sucks. It's awful. He's great. I, you know, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he was tracking towards being a Hall of Famer. I think that's probably passed him by, basically. Um, but he's still going to go down as one of the, certainly one of the Bengals' all-time best wide receivers, one of the top, arguably twenty wide receivers in NFL history, in my opinion. He's, I think, he's a great, great, great player, and he's been great for this organization. But at some point, you have to come to the realization that. If this is just it's a time and place to move on. It's time to move on from Andy Dalton and it's time to move on from AJ Green. I'm just not sinking a bunch of money into a guy that I can't trust is healthy enough. I can't trust I'm sorry that I can't trust that. He says he's gonna be fine. He says he got the, the, the doctors in Green Bay said he's gonna be fine. Well then okay, then let's go play this Sunday then. Let, you need to show me this now. I'm not doing taking this on the if come. I'm sorry, I'm not. But I also understand from his perspective. You franchise tag me. I ain't doing anything I don't need to do because I'm not going to hurt myself for my future. So this, this, it's not going to end well, okay? We're at that stage. We've talked about this for how long this isn't going to end well. It's just not. It's time to part ways and move on. That's more my thing. I know a lot of people who understand the business of football better than I do that say, oh, it's an easy decision at this point. You're going to have to franchise tag him if you're the Bengals. It's the only move to make, especially because you didn't trade him earlier this season when you that's had the, the opportunity, which do. is the move you should have made. Yeah, the only thing you could do if you tag him is I think you tag him and trade him. I think that's the but, only thing you do. But now, don't you think he's driven the value down so much by not playing the entire season? And I'm of the belief that you know front office people in sports will definitely want the unknown. They'll definitely take the chance on the unknown, but they also love the unknown because they feel they can get a bargain on the unknown. And right now, A.J. Green would be coming at a bargain after sitting out an entire season. Right, let, 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 let's say, though, that this takes place. Let's say that the Patriots decide we're going to do one more year we're going to make one more year I don't think they're going to I think they blow everything up after this year's over I think Brady calls it a day there but let's just say they decide we're going to do one more year you don't think of the Bengals tag AJ Green that the Patriots won't give you whatever you want for him absolutely they will some franchise will and then it's there then it becomes at that point it becomes their problem 
It, 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 yeah, no. If that's a realistic is, scenario, is, I would love gotta to see be, it happen. It's got to be higher than a third round pick because if you let him walk as a free agent, there's a pretty good chance in a compensatory pick you're going to get a third round pick for him every, anyway. So right. if you do tag him and opt to trade him, it has to be higher than a third round pick. And see, I mean, that would be. I'd love to see that if that were a realistic scenario. But I just one the fact the way the NFL works and how often trades and things like that actually happen and right. work out, it's fairly rare. And two, with this organization. We think it's actually going to come to fruition. No chance. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, and you can't sign. I think I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You can't sign him long term. No, you can't. You can't. I totally agree with that part of it. There's no way if I'm the Bengals, I'd sign him long term. At the same time, I'm with you. If I'm AJ Green, I'm not. I'm not doing any of this either. I'm. With, I'm with him. Don't franchise tag me. I'm not going to. I would even go so far as to say, if I'm him, I'd be okay sitting out next year if they're going to franchise tag you. He can. No, he, what, no. He made it a point. He said, "Listen, I'm going to make 18 million dollars. My wife ain't going to like me sitting out. So trust me, I ain't sitting out. So he gets that portion of it, right? And, and that's all fair. But I understand why he has to treat it like a business and say the Bengals aren't willing to commit to me. I'm not willing to commit to them. Exactly. And that's totally fair. But both sides, you're right. You're, you've just come to a point now where it's not going to end well. And so while I understand the football people who are smarter than me think it's prudent to franchise tag him because in the NFL, you can turn things around so quickly and he can still help you. I just don't see a path for this team to be successful next year, regardless of who they take in the upcoming draft. Um, and even if they franchised AJ green, and he comes back to full AJ green in his prime form. I still don't think they are a serious contender or even probably a playoff team next season. So to me, it's yeah, you probably just get rid of him at this point. Yeah. And if you're worried about the whole, um, you know, if you get a rookie quarterback, that, that you're taking a weapon away from him right off the bat. I'll go back to the 2011 draft. In the first round, who did the Bengals take? They took wide receiver A.J. Green. In the second round, they took quarterback Andy Dalton. In the macro, that was a pretty good partnership for a good chunk of time, right? Five playoffs in their tenure. What's to say this year you can't take Joe Burrow in the first round and a wide receiver in the second round? And voila, you've you've added a quality player back at that position, and, and they they have a marriage for the next seven or eight years too, along right. with an established Tyler Boyd and an established Joe Mixon, and maybe a, a, a and I'm doing the maybe portion of it, maybe a, a, an emerging John Ross. I mean, you still have another year of him too. So, I, look, I, I know that that you in the perfect world with a rookie quarterback, you want a quality guy like this and receiver like this around, but it's just. To franchise tag him is just, you're going to go through the same scenario we went through this year. One owie. One owie could put him on the sideline for God knows how long. Yeah, and and no one should be critical of the way A.J. Green handles himself or his professionalism or anything like that or what a, what type of locker room guy he is. At the same time, I think the Bengals have gotten to him. At this point, I think he is jaded. I think he is put off by the way the organization has handled him and the success they've had or lack of success they've had with him while, since he's been there. I think he's probably not the best guy to have around well, a young I, core right I, now. I, I think he's mostly upset that they didn't think enough of him to extend him before training camp started. And then right. when the and injury occurred, rightfully so on their part, they're like, well, hold on a second. Now you're hurt, buddy. And, and so that's, that's where animosity takes place. Exactly you right. You take care of him ahead of time. Now he feels slighted. And from their perspective, I get to, I'm not sinking cost into an injured guy now. No. That's just stupid. But if you've got this new head coach and you're moving in a new direction next year, whether it's a new quarterback or whoever you're going to take, I just don't know that A.J. Green, uh, a guy who's becoming jaded and discontent with the way the organization is handling his contract over the last year plus, is the best guy to be trying to pair him up with. That's and for, for the record, you can read more on Local12.com because i got a column up on it. There you go. 
Skinny Fox Sports released footage of the confrontation between Bengals security and the Patriots film crew from last Sunday's game at Cleveland, or two Sundays ago at Cleveland, and it's even more damning than most expected. It's pretty clear that the staff member filming knew he was caught doing something wrong and asked if he could delete the footage. Again, more on that is at local12.com if you want even more detail, but I want to know, has your opinion on the Patriots' punishment changed since the video was released? You remember what I said last week? I came. To, I said it should be as harsh as possible, that Belichick should be done for the rest of this year, that obviously that you know advanced scouts don't get they're, – they're not allowed to go out to opposing stadiums for a year, whatever you want to set. They lose draft picks. The craft video crew can't come in. No, I, it, it's as harsh as it, need, it, it needs to be harsh. I, I, I guess the thing to me is, what is the NFL waiting for now? Is it Are they really trying to pin – to pin Belichick to this or somebody in upper management to this to say who gave the orders and when did the orders come down and how far does this go up the chain? And maybe that's what they're waiting to do before they hand down punishment. But I, I think anybody watches that video, it's, it's pretty clear exactly what we talked about last week. They caught them red-handed, and there's no debating that any longer. And it shouldn't have... I, 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 I can delete it. I just like the, the security guy where he just kind of chuckles and goes, <laughs> it's a long pass. Wait, 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 I wish I could remember what the exact line was. Something of... Along the lines of a little too late for that, my friend. Yeah, and I, I love I love the guy being like, no, it's it's only on this card. I don't even have a computer to upload this anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's on the card. Yeah. I mean, like, I, it was embarrassing yes. to watch. It was awkward and embarrassing. The other thing is, I was surprised at how systematic and obvious this looked on film. I did not think I the video they, they, was they, going to be this. They obvious. had a blueprint. The one, they did. They had a blueprint. So I loved someone tweeted at us after last week's yeah. show. Was there a blueprint? I was unclear on that. Yeah. Um, we probably said it about 15 times, but you're right. And while I knew that and agreed with it, I didn't think it would look this obvious on the tape. And this is like, this is like a kindergartner lying to his parents. Yes. It is so obvious. Like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to say now that I got caught I'll, I'll to try to get it. out of I'll it. I'll delete it, sir. No, you're not going to delete it because that's the damning evidence. No, no, you're not going to delete this, buddy. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm with you, though. We were already on. I said last week that the facts really don't matter in terms of who you can pin this on or who called for it or whether Belichick knew or not. It really doesn't matter because it's sort of like the old NCAA, the lack of institutional control thing. At some point when you've already been caught doing this exact thing to try to get a competitive advantage. And by the way, you were pinned to that last one. You were involved in that last one. You get caught doing the same thing again. It really doesn't matter if they can pin you to it or not. And if I'm the NFL, I'm not worried about investigating it or trying to pin it on anyone because you're not going to be able to, you don't have subpoena power. You're not going to get text messages or emails or wherever that was told to someone that they should be doing that. So you're not going to be able to pin it on Belichick, but you should pin it on him no matter what, just because. And I don't want to play Matlock here or or, or whatever whatever, uh, TV detective you, Columbo, or anybody you want to use or lawyer, Um, but when Belichick says he never sees those, I I don't see that tape, he probably isn't lying. I mean, who knows? This could be for the advanced scout to then put in a report that Belichick then reads the report. Of and he's right. Semantically, he's not seeing the tape, but he's seeing the fruition from it. I'm sure they've got I mean, four or five video coordinator type guys that work on breaking the film down and doing all types of stuff with it for every game, not yes. just this. That, no, right. So he probably never looks at a lot of that stuff. Right. It's in a report. Or, yeah, or it's it, chopped down into it, little bits, bits for him. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's... It, 
and I, I, the only thing I can think of the NFL is what is trying to do is, is again, see how far up the chain this goes. No, I'll tell you what they're where, trying to do. They're trying to act like that's what they're doing so they can figure out how do we let Kraft and Belichick and the Patriots off as easy as possible yeah. by saying, oh, we can't pin it to anyone. They're going to put it on some low level. They already well, they, they fired already the yeah, guy. They're, yeah, they're, they're going to pin it on him and some other low-level employee, and that's going to be it, and there will be some slap on the wrist. Yeah, Jason Lockenfor of CBS Sports, and he throws a lot against the wall, but he reported, uh, I think it was actually even Sunday before the, the tape was released, that the Patriots were going to lose draft picks and, and that someone in upper management was going to take the fall for this. So if that's the truth... Again, what are we waiting yeah, for? Yeah, like what point some, do we, someone in the family's drunk nephew or whatever that be. has a job that he doesn't deserve You're right. is going to get fired. Very, it could very well and be they'll that. And be, they'll be charged another five hundred grand. like that matters at all to them. I yeah. mean, they would pay any amount of money to win another Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's just not really going to deter them from doing this again. Skinny, the Reds added to their already deep starting pitching Wednesday by finalizing a $15 million two-year contract with Wade Miley that adds a left-hander to their rotation. The 33-year-old will get $6 million in 2020 and $8 million the following year. Cincinnati has a $10 million club option for 2022, and Miley can earn $500,000 annually in performance bonuses based on innings. Miley went 14-6 and with a 3.98 ERA and 33 starts to the American League champion Houston Astros last season. He's 85-82 and all-time with a 4.23 ERA in nine seasons with Arizona, Boston, Seattle, Baltimore, Milwaukee, and Houston. He was an all-star in 2012 with Arizona. What did you think of the Reds signing of pitcher Wade Miley? Um, I like it because I, I, you didn't need a uh, you didn't need a, a front end of the rotation guy. I just think you needed a a bottom end of the rotation guy that you can count on, and I think you can count on Wade Miley. I don't need him to be an all star. I don't need him to win a Cy Young. I need him to be better than Tyler Molly or, or someone along those lines. I need him to be your fourth best pitcher, and I think he's 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 that guy. That and, and at the cost, I think the cost is 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 pretty cost friendly, and and it's I think it all makes sense. Look. Bumgarner being out there and, and the Zach Wheeler stuff, I'd almost rather have Wade Miley at this price with the with the ability then to take the other money and go get a hitter than sign a Zach Wheeler for you know hundred million dollars and be done with it. I I think this is this is perfect to me. I it, maybe I'm pie in the sky with this, but look if you were looking for a front end of the rotation guy, then no, this is not the guy you need. But if you're looking at this as the fourth or fifth starter guy, which you kind of are, right? I mean. Castillo's one, Sonny Gray's two, one or one A, however you want to do it. If Bauer comes back, he's three, and De Sclafani and Miley and, and Miley are four and five, and Miley's going to be probably four, so I'm fine with that. I, I think it's great. Yeah, I, you look, I don't you, think you, you look hesitant, though. I don't think there's any downside to it. Yeah, I don't um, either. I think at the worst case scenario, it's not that much money. I don't think he, he I, I, he's not going to move the needle to me. I guess the punchline here is, what else do you do? In this offseason, because if the end of the day is you got Moustakis and Miley, oh, I think they're still going for a bat. Well, you would hope. Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, if it's Moustakis and Miley and uh, the guy they got in the Rule Five draft, that's a Triple A AAA type yeah. guy with some some upside, maybe like who came out of nowhere to hit thirty homers last year. That's so, yeah. not going to move the needle if the plan continues to be. Guys are going to get better. We're going to continue with what we have and make no, I some, don't, I don't think that some is the complimentary pe- bring in some complimentary pieces to go with it. Then it's not going to be enough, and this is going to be continue to be a disaster. Yeah, I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan was we're going to upgrade our rotation, which I think you've done. I think this well, is an upgrade. It, Maybe a slight upgrade. I mean, that, I don't but, know okay. that he's much better than Maley. And again, you're just oh, really he is. substituting he's, out. He's more proven. More proven, but he's also getting towards the backside. I mean... 
Left-handers, a lot of times, for whatever reason, they mature later and they develop later and they seem like they sometimes last longer. I don't know why that is. I think the big thing is he's really excited to get back with Derek Johnson, Reds yeah. pitching coach who he yeah. worked with in the Milwaukee, Brewers yep. and had some good numbers there. Um, and, if, if I were to tell you he's going to go 14-6 and six with a 398 ERA, that'd be great. I'm going to take great. it. Sign me up. Um, but you're right. No, an awful month. Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. To finish the season. So but. so the money that you, you probably had earmarked for the rest of free agency, now you can really wrap the next of it up in a bat. I mean, now, you can, now you've got some money to play with. Yeah, I mean, assuming that guy is, is still out there and the Reds are going to get him, but I mean, I think what we continue to see is, well, actually more so this year maybe than ever, the Reds were involved with a lot of big names. We heard, hey, they're in the mix here. And in reality, some of that is some of that is leverage points too, though. Let's face facts. That's an agent with leverage points. But I think I'd I think I'd we haven't heard that about the Reds in previous years too often. I mean, we'd hear their name occasionally thrown well, in there, but not as much as we did this year in terms yeah, of big names. But I think the reason this year is the Reds were pretty pretty open about we're going to spend some money. So when you hear that, if you're an agent, you're going to throw your guy into the mix with them just to throw some leverage points out there. Yeah, and and it was exciting to hear about. I, I I'd think rather that, have Wade Miley at this price than Zach Wheeler at the, at the big price. And the same for Bumgarner. I really would. Mm-hmm. And then as long as you're going to get me a bat on top of it, sign me up, dude. I'm 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 all in. I'm you, all in on what they're doing. Yeah, but then it just ha- you have to get the bat. Yes, and you it do. has to be a difference maker. Yes, you do. And I think that they will. I really believe that they will. Well, if that happens, then I, I feel like we'll look back and say, oh, that was a nice signing. I, I don't think that... Uh, this is a, a move that's going to make a difference, though. I'll be honest. I, I just know, man. think it's an end-of-the-rotation guy. When I start looking at rotations, though, and I start matching up guys, I'll take Castillo against just about every number one in the league. I'll take Sonny Gray against about just every number two in the league. I'll take Bauer against any number three in the league. I'll take Di Sclafani against a lot of fours in the league, and I'll take Wade Miley against any five in the league. That's pretty good every time through the rotation where you feel like your matchup is better than their matchup. I think they have a good pitching rotation. I there do. You go. I think he adds to the depth of it. I just don't think there, he changes there, what the team was last there year. There was once a wise man in Cincinnati radio lore who talked all the time about pitching, pitching, pitching. Alan Cutler, superstar. Remember that name. Man, uh, didn't he have a run in with uh, Billy Clyde Gillespie one time? <laughs> I can run all day, Billy. Billy, don't run for me. Don't run for me. I can run all day. All right, Skinny, let's get into this. But he was right. Picks. Pitching, pitching, pitching. And it was a great day to be a Bengals fan. He used to say that, too. Yeah, How'd did, that work out? It, it isn't anymore. That's all I know. All right. Time to, time to gamble. Let's do it. What's our records? All right. Overall, in the NFL and college football, I am a. I was 2-6 and six last week. I don't even remember what my two wins were, so I'm glad that I got two victories out of, out of that. Yeah, I think there were totals in both games. Boy, dude, I was closing a 16 parlay on the money line to the Steelers on Sunday night. That was a sickening, sickening loss for I me. I told you not to bet on the Steelers. I know. Tried to talk you out of it yes, last you week. Did. You didn't listen. Um, and I, I don't know why I took Indy. Thank goodness I didn't make a wager on that one. I just kind of let the money nighter come and go. But uh, that was a bad indie pick on me. So anyway, I was two and six, and I'm one hundred five, one hundred seven and one. You're still a very solid, a very solid five and three, and one thirteen ninety nine and one. So you're still showing a profit margin for the year. We thought that that uh, line was going to get the Ravens. We said we think the Ravens will definitely win this game, but the line's just too yeah. much. It wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't never, enough. It, it never is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Skinny, let's get into our matchups. Uh, no Thursday night game this week. They've got some Saturday games. Yeah, three Saturday games, I believe. Yeah, we'll start on Sunday at 1 o'clock. we got the Bengals in Miami playing the Dolphins. This game is now a pick It started with the Dolphins as a, a small favorite. It's now a pick The total is 46-and-a-half. What say you? Joe Mixon goes for 211, and the Bengals win 
<laughs> well, we're pretty close in the score, but flip-flopped. I'm going to say the Dolphins 27, Bengals 21. So that's Dolphins and the over. You have the Bengals and the over. So we both correct? like the over for sure. Yeah, we both like the over in this one. Um, I'll be honest, both teams stink. I just think the Dolphins' defense thinks slightly less. I, I guess that's what <laughs> I, I'm going with here. I, I, I see, know. I'll reverse it. I think the Dolphins' defense – I think the Bengals' defense is way better than Miami's defense. Really? I do. Miami's I, defense stinks. So I say Mixon goes for 211. All right. Fair enough. I disagree. We'll Play see. Joe Mixon in fantasy football this week. Sunday, 820. We've got Chiefs at the Bears. The Chiefs are six-point favorites. The total is 44 and a half. That's a good number, man, because it makes me think both ways with it. Because the Chiefs, I think, are starting to get on a roll on both sides of the fold. They're on on a a roll. roll. That's a good point. They are maybe as playing as well as anyone. They they are. Um, Chicago kind of fired its last bullet in the the holster last weekend as far as the playoffs went, and it was probably a long shot anyway. Yeah, that's how I'm thinking. Um, But I also, man, that that six number on the road on a Sunday night, Bears fans will still be geeked up for the game. The Bears still have some quality players. Trubisky's played better. It, it, it feel, I don't know. It feels kind of shootouty. As much as I don't like the Bears' offense, this is a really hard one for me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go KC twenty-seven twenty-three. I'm going to be on that same number I was on in the Bengals game. So I'm going Bears cover and the over. Yeah, I don't see it. I think the Chiefs are playing really well. I'm with you. I think the Bears kind of feel a little bit deflated at this point after seeing their playoff hopes dissipate. Um, and really, I just think their offense stinks, to be honest. I'm going to say Chiefs 28, Bears 17. So that's Chiefs and the over. Okay. And then Monday night, 8-15, we've got Packers at Vikings. Vikings are five-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 46 in this one. Yeah, this seems like it's a one-possession game. It feels like whoever's going to have the ball last will go down and, and win the game. And I think the Vikings get it done, but they don't get it done enough to cover. I'll go Vikings 26-24 on a late late field goal. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to be very similar in terms of how this plays out with it being a late score, whoever has the ball last type of thing. But when it's those types of games, I always feel a lot better about putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands than anybody else. That's a good call. I'm going to go Packers with the outright win. Packers 24, Vikings 21. So that is Packers and the under. You're staying with the under there. Just barely. So you're taking the Packers on the money line, too. That'd be a pretty decent little money line play. Yeah, and I think I might actually do that in real life. There you go. I like that one. (laughs) All right, let's you convinced yourself. You talked yourself into it. Yeah, I kind of already been thinking about that one before we got here. But college basketball pick, Skinny, give us our records. All right, last week I was 4-3-1. You were 4-3-1. For the season, I am 29-16-1. I feel proud about myself there. And you are 24-21-1. So both of us showing a slight profit. I'm showing a pretty good profit margin. You're so- showing a slight profit margin. So pretty well done. I'm trying to get back on track yes, after you a are. sluggish start. And we'll start this week, Saturday at 5.15 at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. It's Ohio State and Kentucky. The Buckeyes are favored by five. The total is 131, according to Ken Palm. You think this line ends up at five? Do you really? I think it's closer than that. I think it's seven and a half. Really? I you do. think Neutral Ohio's... floor. Yeah, neutral floor. Nah, I don't see that. Well, I think it's still Kentucky. If you if you want to give me Ohio State and, and I only have to lay the five, I think I'm laying it gladly. I think their defense is really good, and they're playing an offensively challenged team. I'll go Buckeyes 71-60. All right, here's where we're going to do Actually, no, hang on. I'll go Buckeyes 71-59. So I'll go Ohio State in the under. I didn't want to put it on the – I didn't want to, didn't want to give right myself a push. Number. Yeah. All right. 
I uh, this is my kind of my upset special All here. Right. I think the Wildcats are going to get the big win that they need. I'm going to say UK 67, Ohio State 63. So that is UK and the under. God, we are both right one. on the total of 130. Yeah, so that right total is right there. We we completely disagree on the game, but we obviously are very close which, on the total. Which probably tells you don't touch the don't total. touch the total. Yeah. All right, Saturday at 7 p.m. You'll be on the call. I will be on the call. I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be a big game for the Norse. NKU invades Greensboro, play UNC Greensboro, who just got a big win over Vermont on Wednesday night. Greensboro is a five-point favorite, according to Ken Palm. The total is 125 in this one. All right, Greensboro Coliseum holds a special place in my heart. Do you know why? Unfortunately... That's not where this game's going to be it's played. Not? It's on campus at Fleming oh, Arena. I'm bummed out about that. I was going to say, Greensboro Coliseum, I won a national championship there. People forget that. People forget that. The NCAA's been hosting how it many is. years there? We won the AAU national title back in 2015 at Greensboro. I, th- I thought you were going to be at the Greensboro Coliseum. I thought I so, it. too. I was bummed out to hear. So it's, it's on campus. Basically their version of Regents Hall. Yeah, on campus. That's interesting. Yeah. That gives me a little, little, little more juice for Greensboro. Hey, Greensboro's good, man. They are good. Um, they, they, this you know, is a measuring stick game for NKU. It, it shows you where you're at. NC State had to make a 65-foot shot to beat them. Um, I think that was actually in Greensboro Coliseum, if I'm not mistaken, uh, what, last week? And uh, who they just beat? They just beat somebody decent. Vermont. Vermont, yeah. Um, I, boy, I, I love what NKU's doing right now, and I love the way they're playing. I, just, I think Greensboro's really, really good. That total seems very low to me. I'm going to go... Greensboro 74, NKU 67. So Greensboro and the and it soars over that total. Greensboro is a defensive-minded team. They're going to slow it down. I actually think that this game is going to be ugly. I think both teams are going to struggle to score against each other, and it's going to be high-intensity kind of a, a battle in you know, a loud arena with feels like a high school gym, right. essentially. What is it called? Fleming Arena? Fleming Arena, I okay. believe, yeah. I'm Name going- for Old Man Fleming? I think it was Old Man Fleming's boy that actually, actually yeah, okay. that, uh, right. that they named sure. it after. But uh, I'm going to go Greensboro covers this margin. UNC Greensboro 65, NKU 58. If you know, if you have your your so full we both team, have a, we both have a seven point margin. You've got Jalen Tate. I feel a lot better about this one. Um, NKU is playing a pretty high level, but this is going to be a big time game. So I'll I, tell you what, if, if NKU does go there and win this game. I think the sky's the limit as far as it, running the table in that damn league. It, you still don't have Jalen Tate, right? I, I mean, like. Right. It's, it's let me, let me ask this. really impressive. Maybe I'm going pie in the pulled. sky here. If NKU were to win this game, the Texas Southern loss looks worse and worse, by the way, in that regard. It's just, I mean, it just because it was at home and all those things. Right. But you win this game, and let's just say you lose two games in the horizon. Could they get to an 11 seed? No. Still too I high, think, in, the, too high think in the sky? The best possible would be Still like 12, 13. 13. Okay. All right. I think right. 14 is probably actually it the probably best is. chance. That's but if usually you had where like, it is. If you had an unbelievable run, maybe you could squeeze up to 13. There's no chance 11 yeah, or 12. Probably, I don't think. Because those are the last at large teams usually. Yeah. yeah you're there's right. no chance. And I, and I really don't think 13 is likely. I think 14 is kind of your pie in the sky if everything goes great. And that kind of sucks because I think they would have had a really good non conference. I mean, you, yeah, they the pushed Texas, Arkansas to the Texas Southern loss is really just what changes it. Yeah, you're right. That hurts. All right, we've got Saturday at 9 p.m. at the United Center in Chicago. It's Iowa against Cincinnati, another big one for the Bearcats. Iowa is favored by three in this one. 151 is the total. Yeah, this is a tell. Even though I, I was talking glowingly about UC before, but I watched Iowa in their opener this year against DePaul, and I thought they were trash. And they've obviously turned things around in a in a big, big way. Yeah. Just got to win what in the at, at Iowa State what last week? I think last Monday maybe. And yeah. that's that's a pretty good win. They not only won it, I think they. 
beat the doors off of them. Yeah, Covcath guard CJ Frederick's been playing, playing, really playing very, well very well, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, boy, I, if, if you'd asked me after their first game, I would have never told you Iowa was going to win seven games this year. But, but like I said, they've kind of turned it around. Chicago feels like it's kind of a more of an Iowa kind of an area. Um, obviously, not a hard trip for UC fans to make, but I think you'll get probably a more pro Iowa crowd. As much as I like what UC did against Tennessee, I just don't trust them enough on a neutral floor or away at this point, this being neutral. So I'm going to go Iowa. That total seems very, very high to me. I'll go Iowa 73, Bearcats 67. Yeah, I mean, had we seen maybe Jaron Cumberland go for 22 and get it going last night, maybe I feel UC could pull this one off too. I just don't see it happening. I think they'll actually play fairly well. I do and too. Iowa, yeah, fight I, I, for I do sure. too. That's why. Yeah, I get six Iowa's point not going to lock you down defensively. No. You'll be able to score against them. I think this one will go over that high total of one fifty one. I'm going to say Iowa eighty one, UC seventy four. So Iowa covers the three, and it goes over the one fifty one. Okay. And that brings us to our final game of the weekend, Sunday at 5 p.m. We've got Xavier at TCU. TCU is the one point favorite according to Ken Pomeroy. One thirty three is the total for this game. Yeah, I want to say I can see X bouncing back from the Wake Forest game and, and then taking the Western Carolina game, and I'm assuming Najee's back, right? I would think so. It was a stomach virus. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I guess that could keep him out for multiple days, but I doubt it. Yeah, I just uh, – it's hard for me until – I guess I'll say this. Until X can, can go on the road and beat somebody quality, it's hard for me to pick them beating somebody of quality. I think TCU's pretty good. I'll go TCU um, – I do think it stays under. I'll go TCU 69-65. So TCU, and actually that goes over the total. So TCU in the over, 69-65. I'm with you on it being a low-scoring game. Um, I, I think this is going to be a battle for X, but I think this is a game that they are equipped to play. TCU, is uh, they shoot the three well. They rely on the three, but they're not a great offensive team overall. They kind of rely on their defense, too. The old is, Jamie Dixon teams. Right, which is what Xavier wants, obviously, um, a team that's not going to run away and hide. So I think Xavier 68, TCU 64. All right. Xavier gets the big win. Fans feel a lot better after this game, even though they're really going to be the same team with the same issues, um, capable of losing to anyone at it any time. It don't matter. As long as you put them in the left-hand column, that's all that really matters. That's exactly right. They've got to pile up some important wins. If they get this one, I think you can start feeling a little bit better about things. So that's XU and the under. Yeah, and then we get uh, we get set for conference play not too far away. All right, Rick, appreciate it as always. Uh, have yourself a Merry Christmas. You do the Enjoy same. Enjoy the holiday. Um, you, you, you got some special plans for Christmas, Rick? Christmas. There's that. All right. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. <laughs>